Folge von The Canadian Wants to Know. Ein Podcast für Englischlernende in Deutschland, der kraftvolle Geschichten und anregende Fragen nutzt, damit ihr auf unterhaltsame Weise eure Sprachkenntnisse verbessern, vertiefen und festigen könnt. Hier ist euer Host, The Canadian George Robledo. Welcome to my podcast, Laura. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me. I'm doing good. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. So, to begin, we're going to talk about food, ultimately. This is what the episode is about. I love food, you love food, we all love food. (laughs) So we have to start at the beginning. Tell us, what is your background? Where do you come from? So, for me, it is a little bit complicated. Um, I was born in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And uh, my mom is Bolivian and my dad is Chinese. I... My parents went to Argentina just to have me, so I would be able to have a different passport. And then I grew up in Bolivia. Okay, so very interesting. So Chinese father, Bolivian mother, born in Argentina. Yes, and and I grew up in Bolivia, but in a very Asian household, I would say. Okay, did you have like an an Asian community around you at that time? Yes. Or was it mostly from your father? Yes. Growing up, uh, we had a little, well, a little, it's a big Asian community. Uh, I am from Santa Cruz. Uh, so we would do a lot of the celebrations with them. Um, we would do Chinese New Year and all the, you know, the spring festivals and fall festivals and all stuff like that. Um, so it was, we were very immersed in the culture. Cool. Can you speak the language? Uh, only a little bit. I did go to school. Well, I took classes, Chinese classes, um, Mandarin, but I don't remember much of it. After five years, I think my brain just sort of rejected it, which is why I also don't speak German because I, I've had experiences with a different language than my own and I haven't been able to pick it up as opposed to English. Uh, English, I picked it up very easily. Okay. Uh, so today you speak uh, Spanish and English, a little bit of Mandarin and some German, I imagine? Yeah, a little bit of Mandarin, a little bit of Cantonese, uh, a little bit of German, I would say the basics, um, you mm-hmm. know, to get around to when I go to the shops and the stores and stuff like that. Yeah. What I tell people is German uses up a lot of storage space in the brain. It's not an easy language to learn. No. And the thing for me is I don't do well in class settings. The way I learned English was through a foreign exchange student program. Uh, So I was just thrown into the language and I learned it very um, spontaneously. Um, So I find that German for me is it works better when I look at advertising or I read just random things on the, um, on the Uban, uh, I've been able to pick up some words from there. I can give you a little tip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have never been to a single German course in my life in the six years that I've lived in Germany. And you speak German. And I speak German. So I don't know I cannot tell you about the accusative, dative, genitive. I can't tell you about those mm-hmm. things. But what I did is uh, when we moved to the south of Germany, the first two years I couldn't speak any German. Mm-hmm. But when we moved to the south, I decided, okay, I have to take this seriously. So I developed something called the Freiburg 100 list. <laughs> and my goal was to meet 100 people in 90 days. Uh-huh. So I did everything possible 
to surround myself with German people. Uh, Facebook groups and uh, just talking to people. Hey, do you know other Germans? And just like everything I could in that time period right. to immerse myself uh, in the culture and in the language. And I asked Germans, please correct me. Right. And um, that that worked. Mm -hmm. So I can speak it and I make mistakes, of course, mm -hmm. but um, in general, like I, I don't have any issues communicating with people. So, right. so you, it's a little tip. Yeah, so you were really open to, <laughs> to taking in the language. I, when I realized that I was going to stay in Germany mm -hmm. for an extended period of time, I said, okay, um, learning a language opens up a culture to you. Yes. And um, that was, it was like night and day for me. Before I spoke German, it was not an easy place to live. Mm -hmm. As soon as I learned German, uh, everything just became easier. And I think there's something Nelson Mandela said. He said, uh, speak to someone in a language they understand mm -hmm. and you'll reach their, their mind. Mm -hmm. Speak to them in their mother tongue and you'll reach their heart. And that's exactly what I've experienced here in Germany. So, of course, people can, can speak English. But if you speak to them in German, the experience is very different. Yeah, of course. Oh, thank you for mm -hmm. that. <laughs> I feel yeah. like um, a lot of it, you know, rejecting a language or rejecting a culture. In We've had this conversation before how we adapt very easily because we have lived in different places. But for some reason, Germany has always it has always been the most difficult place for me to to live in to understand and to be um to love i think it took me about four years to say okay i love germany now and i think it's because my brain finally opened up and was like okay i i accept this <laughs> i know exactly what you're talking about exactly yeah exactly. so maybe the language will be my next step yeah, no, I can highly, I can highly recommend it. It was it's like completely opened up this country. It was like the fog was removed mm -hmm. and then the sun came out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, and it's just about interact because language is about communication. Like that's yeah. why it exists. It's, it's not there to learn rules and, and to do things grammatically correct and perfectly. No, language exists for communication. Mm -hmm. So focus on that. Mm -hmm, for sure. If you say das house or a d house or a der house, mm -hmm. it really doesn't matter. You're still talking about a house. Exactly. Yeah. So focus on the communication aspect. Make mistakes and and, and have fun with it. Yeah, for sure. Not not take it too serious. <laughs> no, no, I, but I know it's it's not an easy an easy I had a lot of negative experiences at the beginning with the language and and with interacting with people who didn't understand me and you just feel ashamed mm -hmm. and you feel kind of stupid. But if you're able to kind of overcome those initial experiences yeah. and just focus on the end goal, I want to communicate, I want to uh, be a part of this uh, society, then it's possible. Mm -hmm. It's definitely possible. Perfect. But going back, <laughs> we're talking about the fact that you grew up in a Chinese environment community within Bolivia. Mm -hmm. So specifically, what did you eat growing up? <laughs> I was thinking about this earlier today, and it has been a very interesting mixture of both cultures because, uh, let's see, something as simple as chicken soup, right, that exists in pretty much every cuisine. Uh, my parents would make it with the traditional uh, chicken feet, 
So they will make Bolivian chicken soup, but with chicken feet. Um, and of course, it was super tasty and a lot of flavor. But it was it was a very it was very mixed. Some days we will have a lot of uh, traditional Chinese food, not not the kind that you find at restaurants uh, or is westernized. And some days we would just have Bolivian food, uh, which was a nice little break. Did you have a preference? Mm, no, not really. Um, I think a lot of, like I said, like it was very mixed. Um, a lot of our foods, for example, if we would have Bolivian food, for instance, uh, there is a this tongue beef tongue stew, um, and they usually have it with toasted rice. Instead of having it with toasted rice, we will have it with Chinese white rice or jasmine rice. Uh, so it was a very yeah, it was it was very cool, um, and that's the the way I grew up eating, and that's the way I'm used to. So if I go to a restaurant, my brain sort of wants just the white traditional Chinese rice, um, but no, no preference. It, it's just a nice little break between one thing and the other. And sometimes even Bolivia has uh, a lot of Brazilian expats, okay. so we would even have feijoada. Mm-hmm. So you grew up with both both uh, yeah. mixture of, of the cuisine from Bolivian and Chinese. And I think off the air, you mentioned that your dad had a Chinese restaurant. What was that like? Yes. So he, well, my dad moved to Bolivia when he was about 10, 11 years old with my grandfather. And um, they set up a Chinese restaurant. So they had it for 20 something years. Um, and it was very, it was very, it was fun. I miss it sometimes now. Uh, it was fun because I would help, um, you know, with the front of the house and sometimes in the kitchen. Um, but it just brought more appreciation to food for me. Um, and I got to see how all the different cultures have very similar dishes, especially comfort dishes, comfort food. Um, so, yeah, that, that was good. Yeah. Did you have to work in the restaurant when yes. you were growing up? Or? I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, I think every Asian, you know, if you're a kid and you have Asian parents, you have to help. Uh, there is there is no way of saying no, right? Um, so yeah, we helped. Um, I think we go to school from 7.30 to 12.30 p.m. So that's the, that's the end of the school day, basically. And then we will go home and help. And of course, weekends would always be busy, and um, it was fun though. It was it was a nice like hustle and bustle, I call it. It was good. Yeah, I can imagine lots of activity. Yes, and it's nice uh, because it also teaches you a lot of social skills, right? Because um, my dad would come out to the restaurant and talk to the clients, talk to people. Uh, so it was that was a uh, it helped me develop in that way. They kind of like take you out of your shell. Mm-hmm. Right to speak to strangers and get their orders and things like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Now that's a really cool lesson. I wonder, and, and I'll tell you, I'll kind of give a preface. Preface, I think, is the pronunciation. Mm-hmm. So my father, his mother is Chinese, and um, growing up in Nicaragua, uh, a lot of my bro- my dad's siblings they have Asian features, and they were. A lot of time they're called Los Chinos, Los yeah. Chinos, right? The family of Los Chinos. What was it like for you growing up in Bolivia, but uh, inside of a Chinese environment? 
Like to the rest of Bolivians, what were you? An outsider. I mean, um, so my dad moved to a, a small town in Santa Cruz. And we were pretty much the only Chinese people there. Um, but I always felt like an outsider in both cultures. Um, when I went to school, uh, you know, and we would speak in Spanish, my last name is already, it's already unusual even for Chinese culture. My last name is Keung. So I felt like an outsider there. And then when we would go and hang out with the Chinese community, I would also feel like an outsider because my mom is Bolivian. So my second last name is Sanabria. So yeah, um, and there's a lot of comparison, right? I think Chinese culture um, prides parents prides them pride themselves, um, depending on how far their kids go, <laughs> and that was really difficult um, because we would all the kids would get compared, right? What school you, do you go to? How many languages are you speaking? Who's your friend? Who do you hang out with? What are your hobbies? Do you have any extracurricular classes? Um, and then, of course, the the other side, the Bolivian culture, which is a, a lot more relaxed. Um, I would say not as much comparison. So yeah, it was it was interesting. And what did you get from your parents? Like, did they fit that stereotype that there was more pressure coming from your dad's side? Yes, definitely. Okay. Yes, more, definitely more pressure. Um, more, <laughs> to talk a little bit more personal, I remember being about seven or eight years old and going to take this huge English exam. And I wasn't sure what it was for, but I, I had the pressure to, you know, to do good. And I didn't. Um, and it was later I found out that it was to enter a, um, I think it was an American school. So I think it, there was a lot of pressure, but it wasn't really spoken. I just felt it. Okay. So it was not like directly where you said, oh, well, you have to perform, you have to do no. well, but you felt it. Yes. It was expected of it, you. It was, yeah, it was sort of expected. It was unspoken, <laughs> unspoken pressure. Um, of course, my, my father let me, let me do whatever I wanted, but there was always sort of a, okay, there is this option if you wanted, um, or if you try hard, <laughs> there is this option here. Right. But like I said, thankfully my father let me do let, let me be, you know, I, I had that room, um, almost like room for error to learn myself. Yeah, it's really interesting with that mixture, right? How was mm -hmm. it with your mom? Did you feel pressure from that side? No, not as much. No? Um, not as much. Um, and I, I look at my, even at my professional career now as a graphic designer, I think for a lot of Asian parents, that would be a, ooh, no, no right? You got to be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, something, something huge. Yeah. Unspoken. <laughs> I'm, I'm really, yeah, no, sorry. No, I'm like, so. I'm going back in my mind and I'm like looking at, at the past now. <laughs> I'm just remembering. Yeah. Uh, what was that like? Mm -hmm. um, no, I, I, I can kind of relate. Like my parents come from countries that are very close to each other. My, my dad is from Nicaragua. My mom is from Guatemala. Mm -hmm. But even though they're almost neighbors, there's still differences culturally between the two. Oh, really? 
Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really interesting and bringing it back to, to the, the table. Um, in my dad's culture, to be polite, when someone offers you food, you say no for the first time. Same in the Chinese so, culture, yes. So you'll say, no, 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 thank you. All right, I'm fine. And then the person will insist. And that's when you say, okay, no, if you insist, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. In my mom's culture, if you say no, that's rude. Right. So you're being rude to the person. So the person will not offer you anymore because you, you just rejected their kindness. Yeah. So my dad, the first time he, he, he went to Guatemala, he spent a year there and he was always hungry <laughs> because <laughs> no one would give him food after the first time he said no to them. Were there like these cultural clashes in the household because there was a different way of experiencing like a different um, background culturally for your parents? It is exactly how you are saying it. Exactly like that. In Chinese culture, you sort of say no, right? No, thank you. Because you don't want to bother people. Um, As opposed to in the Bolivian culture, because everybody is so relaxed. Yes, you, you offer things and you say, yes, please. Thank you. You know? I would say that, but more personally, um, I think my dad coming from a different culture, he could see, like, as every outsider, you see the dangers, right? The good things and the bad things of a, of a country. Um, so I really wasn't allowed to go out as much as I, as much as my peers, just because it was unsafe or the, the way my dad uh, my father saw the culture was a little bit unsafe. So you're somewhat sheltered mm-hmm. from yes. the rest of society it, in a way. Yes. And mm-hmm. I mean, we, we talk about this freedom and being sheltered, right? But it's almost like I was given a box and I was able to move freely within a specific space. So you have a Canadian husband, mm-hmm. but you're living in Germany. Mm-hmm. Have you been able to experience some of like the, um, the the German food culture here? The German food culture. Um, I think we, you know, what you see at Hofbrauhaus, let's say, right? The the half chicken, uh, the Haxen, um gnudel. The noodle is one of my least favorites, I have to say, sadly. Um, I do like the, there is a specific food truck at Christmas time uh, at Karlsplatz that sells pork sandwiches. I don't know if you've, if you've ever tried it um, or if if you have it in, in your area, but it's a pork sandwich and it has caramelized onions in it. It is so good. Yeah. It, it, it is so simple and I, I am a lover of simple food because it just communicates so much about a culture, but that, that has been really good. Um, I, we just started doing, um, the vice first on weekends. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's a big thing in Bavaria. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We just started doing that. Yeah. I, I think now that I... We talked a little bit about this before, um, how 
it is a little bit difficult to adapt to Germany. But after four years and me now being open to everything, I think now I'm trying more foods that are from this area. Käsespätzle. That one. That's a good one. What is it like for you when you start to miss home, whether that's Bolivia or, or Canada? Like, what do you eat? Anything special? Do you prepare anything special? Yes. Special. Uh, so I I love cooking. Um, cooking for people that that is how I show love. That's my love language, and having so many different cultures. Just my parents, right? Chinese and Bolivian, and then moving to Toronto. Um, in Canada, where it's so multicultural, and then my husband being Canadian Italian, I, you know, I I've been lucky that I've been able to recreate so many dishes from his childhood and mine. So when we are both homesick, um, I cook rice porridge, which is very Chinese, right? Um, chicken rice porridge. That's my comfort food. Um, for my husband is often pasta, so we have pasta Sundays with sugo sauce. So we, yeah, we do find our ways to recreate all of these foods that make us feel like we're there or hold us over until the next time we're home. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I have to do. Like, um, I'll make I make rice and beans <laughs> when I really, yeah. I'm like, well, oh, I miss my my parents. I miss my my mom's cooking. Mm-hmm. I make rice and beans. Like my wife is going to make rice and beans for me today because she knows that I'm already kind of feeling nostalgic yeah. these days. So I've got I've got a good wife who takes care of me as well. When she realizes, oh, oh, George is not doing so well. Yeah. I need to make him some some food that he so he can remember. Yeah, and it, right, it often it's like to be home. It often happens in during the winter, right? I think winter in Germany is really difficult. It's really hard. Um, especially when you come from tropical countries where it's warm for most of the year. Um, this is when when that nostalgia really gets in. Oh, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I lived in the north of Germany yeah. for two years where it's always cloudy, mm-hmm. always raining, always dark. And I'm like, whoa, I, it was really affecting my mental health. But the south of Germany is so much better. And I'm sorry for people who are listening from the north. Uh, it's, it's simply true. <laughs> the south is better. It's beautiful. There's much more sun, more light. Really? Uh, the mountains and snow. Because in the north, where, in Hanover, where we lived, you don't see snow. But I, I live close to the Black Forest. So right. whenever I want to get this feeling of home, of Canada, mm-hmm. I can just go up to the, to the mountains and play in the snow. Nice. I love how we say home and we, we refer to other places. With time, I, I, I've come to call Germany home as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can also say I have multiple, mm-hmm. multiple homes. And this is home. And intellectually, I understand that this is a great place to be. I have security. I have opportunities. Mm-hmm. I, it's a great infrastructure as well. Mm-hmm. I also really enjoy certain aspects of the culture, for example. That people are very uh, fit, like they're very active yes. in their lifestyle, and that, like, if I had stayed in Canada, I'd be a fat man today for sure. <laughs> uh, so I really appreciate the fact that people here are very active. So I can go hiking, I can go biking, I can go running, and and, and I can do it with other people as well, yeah. and it's quite normal. So I really love that about being 
here. But of course, from time to time, you just remember, oh, my mom's cooking. The laughter, the the jokes, the dancing, the music. Gathering. And, yeah. and you miss it. Yeah. Tell me about some, some foods that, because uh, you did mention a couple, but tell me about your mom's cooking specifically. I want to learn more about Bolivian. Bolivian food. Dishes. Well, there's so much. And I I never thought there were so many dishes until this last time that I that I went back and I would see the the foods being advertised at lunchtime uh, outside each restaurant and then I would be like oh I forgot about that dish and I want to try it I want to eat it again um, so it's very potato and rice based um, I would say lots of stews right um, one of my favorite is beef tongue. And that's just eaten over rice. It is spicy with not a, it's not so much a tomato-based sauce. There is a specific spice there uh, that they use. And it has potatoes as well. Uh, I think a couple of different potatoes. Actually, Bolivia has about 200 different potatoes. And this one comes with fresh potatoes, the dish, and dehydrated potatoes, which is more from the west side of the country that it's more typical there. Another one of my favorite dishes that I didn't, that I only got to eat once this time, it was peanut soup. And uh, it's just made with peanut paste and beef. And that's also almost like a stew. And then you top it with crispy French fries. Which is, I, I haven't seen that in, in any other culture. What else? Uh, yuca, cassava is big in South America as well. Um, in Germany, I think they call it manioc. Manioc, yes. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. exactly. It's, it's, it's almost the same. Yeah, it's the same. But um, I call it the, the Bolivian potato sometimes just because there's so much of it there. But you eat it with food at lunchtime and sometimes you can find it as a flour and it's baked with cheese uh, for tea time so in bolivia you have your breakfast in the morning and then lunchtime is very different from other countries that i've experienced Um, i would say it's more like spain so you take two to three hours for lunch and businesses close so you can go home and eat at home and then you take your siesta and then you go back to work. So that's your heaviest meal of the day. And then around 4 or 5 p.m. PM, you have tea time, a little bit like the British. And they they have tea rooms with baked goods and that's really good as well. Um, like I said, everything is, a lot of the things are based um, on cassava flour and cheese. Uh, you have empanadas, um, and then you have dinner time later. I would say seven, eight p.m. And then you have something, something a little bit lighter, not as heavy as lunch. You're making me hungry. <laughs> I just came back a week, exactly a week ago, and I already miss the food. I already miss all of that. Right, that 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 whole routine of, especially having tea time in the afternoon. Um, baked goods are so difficult to recreate. I think lunch dishes is, is easier, but baked goods, because it has very specific ingredients from the region, it's just hard to make and more um, labor intensive too, especially if you're making for one person. And, do you, and the, the dinner time, the, the supper time, 
how late is it in Bolivia? Well, in, in my family, we would eat around 8 p.m. But this time around, uh, when I went back with friends, I noticed that people eat much later, like 9, 10, almost like like um, like Spanish, like Spain, 9, 10 p.m. Yeah, that's and that's sometimes they want to we we try to group like Latinos as one, but there's so <laughs> many differences culturally yes. between um, South America, Central America, and even within South America, the, the countries mm-hmm. and how they eat, when they eat, because mm-hmm. uh, where my parents come from, you you eat pretty early, like your supper is around six. Yeah, I I mean I now that I I'm married and. Uh, influenced by my husband's family, we have dinner at six thirty p.m., seven at the most, uh, and that is very early. I mean, that would be tea time, right, in Bolivia. In Bolivia, <laughs> yeah. wow, wow. Can you tell us about where we can find you? Right on on social media, your website. Right. Tell us a little bit about that. Um. So I yeah on Instagram, my 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 everyday personal life uh, is at Laura Kyung or Laura Kyung. And then I am professionally, I am a graphic designer and I specialize in brand design and I specialize in working with women entrepreneurs. Um, So I run my own studio from home. And for that, you can find me on Instagram again at uh, Laura Kyung Studio. Or my website is laurakyong.com. Perfect. So I'll leave all of that information in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time, you. for coming on, telling us about your story and about the different foods that uh, are, are dear to you. And I hope we can repeat this again. Of course, we can, we, we can do a part two for sure. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was my interview with Laura. After speaking with her, I got very hungry and decided to Google Bolivian recipes. I will leave links for you so you can try them out for yourself. My question for you is, is there a special dish that you connect with your hometown or country that you love? If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. If you want to support the podcast, consider leaving a tip. I published an online course to help Germans correct their most common mistakes in English. You can click on the link in the show notes for more information. That's it for this episode. Also, bis nächstes Mal.